and talk. Welcome to Grow Up and Talk. I am Pastor Aaron, and I've got a very special guest that I will introduce in just a little bit. But we are here for our um, the twelfth episode of our podcast, Grow Up and Talk. We believe that eternities are changed when Jesus followers grow up in their faith. And one of the best ways we can do that is to read God's Word and talk about it. And so that's what we do here. Uh, we're going to encourage one another on our journeys towards spiritual maturity. And something that our Messiah family is doing together to encourage is this three-year Bible reading plan. Basically, it's kind of like five minutes a day. And um, what we do is we take a week at a time, and we take someone uh, special in our congregation and our or in our sphere of influence or whatever, and we just talk about what we read for that week. And today, my guest is Kayla Kneifel. Kayla, say hello. Hello. Yeah, Kayla is one of the members of our church here at Messiah. And also in the room with me, as always, is the illustrious Emily Smith. Say hi, Emily. That was a great wave. Um, and for all of you, she waved very, very politely. Um, we are recording this uh, this episode right now, kind of in the midst of a really kind of crazy time going on in our. We've got like things are shut down all over the place. Uh, this coronavirus thing is. Uh, we don't know what to do or what to think. So, I really thank you for coming out in the middle of all of this and and. Um, God's word is solid and stands and never closes up. And so it's good that we're able to uh, meet and continue to talk about this. Um, and there's some really cool and weird stuff to talk about in the readings that we have. But before we get into the readings, I just want to take a little time to let everybody get to know you a little bit. So Kayla, tell us about like where you're from, where you were born, how you grew up, how long you've been at Messiah. And I'll ask you some more questions in a minute. Okay, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, I was wow. adopted, and I grew up in Kennebunkport, Maine. Wow. When I was 20... That's like the George Bush uh, yes. hangout, right? Yeah, yes, right okay. on the ocean. Um, when I was 23, I moved away to Washington State, where I got married and had my son. Mm. Um, probably about eight months later, we decided to relocate to Texas, because my husband's family is from here. Mm. Um, I have one five-year-old whose name is Silas. I also work at the preschool as an assistant transitional kindergarten teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and it is awesome. I love being able to give God's word to these children and just speak love into them every day. So a lot of our, you know, our members and people listening don't know much about our preschool at all. Tell me like how many kids are in your class and um, some of the stuff that y'all do on a day-to-day -day basis. So we have 16 kids in our class. Um, in the morning, we ha we welcome the kids and then we go to chapel, which mm. is really exciting for them. They love it and they get to get all the wiggles out. Mm. Chapel every day. Chapel every day after that, we go back to our classroom. We have circle time where we just go over the basic concepts like the weather, the day of the week. Oh, wow. um, we review um, numbers, mm -hmm, letters, mm -hmm. and uh, it's exciting. Yeah, that's it's awesome. Fun. Well, thanks for all your work with, mm -hmm. with them. I, it's a it's a really special thing that we don't often think about, like some of the foundational things that people are learning at that young age. Um, both, you know, the things that are going to help us uh, throughout life and also some of the things uh, spiritually that are being learned right now. They're learning some of the basics of, um, you know, love your neighbor as yourself kind of stuff and uh, love God above all things. And so that's really a big deal. It's a, it's a huge ministry you have there. So thank you for being part of that. And now you've been at Messiah for a, a while. Um, one of the things that we'd like to ask people as they come on the podcast is, 
uh, kind of just honestly tell us what is your Bible reading habits, you know, in the past? What is your Bible reading habits now? Why, why were you even willing to agree to come on and talk about the Bible? Because a lot of the folks we have on here are like, you know, I'm just getting into this and um, I just want to kind of explore it. So where do you fall in all that? Um, so I wasn't brought up in the church. Um, I found Jesus in 2013. Okay. I went through some really rough stuff that I couldn't make sense of, and I'd always been able to make sense, and I was like, what is going on in my life right now? And someone invited me to go to church, and what the pastor spoke about was what I was going through, and I was like, whoa, this is freaky. Wow. So it, my faith just developed more and more and more, and through that there was trials, which I didn't understand. Everyone's just have faith. They'll work out, and it's just like after experiencing that over and over and over, I couldn't deny God. Like mm. I was like, his presence is here. My um, personal reading, I read every morning and I pray every morning. Okay. Um, I try and do devotionals. I go to Bible studies once a week. Um, so when, when you read every morning, like what has your habit been in reading? Like how do you decide what to read? So typically I try and do it off of a devotional. Okay. Or honestly, a lot of mornings I just pray and I'm like, Lord, I don't know what you want to tell me today, but just give me, give me mm. that verse you want me to read. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I read it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, once again, I cannot deny God in that. Yeah. Some people think I'm crazy, but it's Well, okay. you know, I would say that God's Word doesn't think you're crazy <laughs> because, you know, we read in the book of Hebrews that the Word of God is living and mm-hmm. active and sharper than a double-edged sword and that it pierces to the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And so I think that's exactly what you're talking about right Mm -hmm. now. And so uh, thanks for sharing that, Mm because I think a lot of folks are kind of in that same position, like, I don't even know where to start, and sometimes maybe just try to pop it open. Sometimes that's a really great way to just get in there. And then, you know, other people are going to be more structured and be looking like, okay, we better, you know, kind of study this bit by bit. So right now we'll be kind of looking at something a little bit more structured and going bit by bit. I'm going to ask you a very honest question here. How was it to look at, because today we are looking at um, the readings for April 18th through 24th, and we're covering numbers 23 through uh, 30, and um, wow, it's, wow, um, there's a lot of weird stuff in here. What um, what was that like for you to, to do this section? Have, have you ever spent a lot of time in this section of scripture before? Absolutely not. <laughs> Um, it was kind of overwhelming. I'm going to be honest. Uh, but then, you know, a lot of times when you read it, you can't really make sense of it. So the first thing I did was start reading commentaries and I mm. had it, I broke it down so I could understand it. Mm-hmm. And I probably read through this about three times. Yeah. So how did you choose like where lot, some people don't know what you're talking about when you say commentaries, what is that? And where did you find them? Um, so Bible Gateway has a lot of commentaries. Uh, you can go on YouTube and search them. I usually try and look for the Mm -hmm. more, uh, I don't know what the word is. Honest. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Some of the more faithful to the readings and things like that. Yeah. Cause it, you know, like we know, you can find anything you want on the internet. And, um, so what Kayla's doing here, she's given us a good example of uh, one of the ways to study the Bible where it, you know, we may read something and not fully understand it. And so we look to other people who maybe have spent a lot of time studying it and what their theological background is. And Kayla's, uh, saying, you know, we've got to look at who these people are because we don't want to just listen to everybody out there. And so you kind of do a little bit of background. Is like, this guy reputable, you know, mm-hmm. and things like this. And 
and look at what these commentaries say. And sometimes it's good to look at several of them because mm-hmm. you will see a difference in like how people interpret some parts of scripture. And I would only imagine that commentaries have a lot of different things to say about this particular part of scripture. So what I'm going to do right now, if it's all right with you, I'm going to give a quick overview of what we read in 23 through 30, and then we'll start uh, delving into some of the questions. So I'm a little bit jealous that last time Pastor Alex and Dylan got to talk about Balaam and his donkey, <laughs> basically Shrek uh, story in the Bible, right? And um, and and all that got got to happen there, and that's so much fun and so much to talk about. But uh, we are coming right off of that story where God actually spoke through the mouth of a donkey to His servant Balaam uh, as he was coming to talk to Balak. And the, Balaam had had this uh, had this vision basically of God saying, "Don't go talk to Balak," and Balak kept sending people to Balaam to get him to come and persuade him. And finally God said, all right, but if you go, you're going to listen to everything I say, which is when he sends this angel, he doesn't see the angel, the donkey starts talking. And you know, I just keep hearing Eddie Murphy's voice in my head. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) But um, so now Balaam has made it to Balak and basically Balak is asking him, he, Balak has seen, uh, Israel wandering in the wilderness and coming up close to his borders, and he's getting really scared because there's a lot of them. And Balak says, uh, I need somebody who t- can uh, align with me, and who better than somebody who knows their God and maybe can persuade their God against them? And so Balak tells Balaam, Hey, um, come visit me. I'll give you a lot of money, I'll give you a lot of stuff. And Balaam keeps saying, No, 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 that's not the way this works. Finally, when Balaam goes, Balak says, Here, let me just show you what I'm up against. And he, he takes them to several different mountaintops and says, look at all these people. They're like, they're like you know, locusts over the plain. Um, now you will side with me and you will curse them. And Balaam says, can't do it. God's coming to me and saying, no, I have to bless them. And Balak gets really frustrated. He's like, hey, I called you here to curse them and you keep blessing them. And it happens three different times um, before finally Balak says, all right, well, you need to get out of here because this is just getting worse and worse and worse for me. And eventually, um, of course, Balak is conquered. Then we get into the the whole thing with uh, God's people, again, falling into idolatry and idol worship. And there's some, um, there's some punishment that happens for that. And then uh, the guy kind of sends this other plague uh, uh, in among them. And after this... Um, God works because they've been through several different uh, battles and things like this. God says, we're going to take another census, which is what we did at the very beginning of Numbers. And so you probably really loved chapter 26, where it was just this list of names and numbers, names and numbers, right? Which was, uh, which was, which is kind of hard to deal with them, but I'm going to ask you some questions about that in just a minute. Um, and then we have uh, some real specific stories about some specific people um, as all of the land um, that they're getting ready to go in and take uh, take possession of is being divided up. Um, there's some girls whose father had been among those who should have gotten inheritance, and these girls, because they were girls, aren't going to get the inheritance. And they said, hey, this isn't really fair. And Moses and God, or God works with Moses to kind of explain how they're going to deal with that. Uh, Joshua gets appointed as the one who's going to succeed Moses because Moses is told, hey, because you disobeyed me in the wilderness, you're not going to get to go in the promised land. So Joshua is commissioned as kind of the new leader to go into the promised land. Um, Then we get a whole new list of sacrifices and offerings and how to do them and when to do them um, for these different festivals that God has set up. And we round out chapter 30 with 
men and their vows and women and their vows and what's a valid vow and what's not. Uh, does that sound like a pretty good overview of what you looked at? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to start off just asking you, as you read through this, what were some of the things that really stuck out to you as like um, really interesting or things that had maybe some kind of a, a deep, important meaning to you? Um, well, at the beginning, I thought it was interesting that um, Balaam, when he originally went to God and asked God before he went, he goes, should I go? And God said no. Yeah, yeah. And later on, they discuss that the reason why, and they talk about it in Peter, actually, if you go back into Peter, about why it's because his intentions weren't there for the mm, right reasons. Mm-hmm. His intentions were there for the for the money that he was going to get, mm. um, not for God, right. which I thought was really interesting. And then eventually he was like, okay, I'll do it for God. God's like, okay, all right. Yeah. Um, and I also thought it was interesting that Balak believed that he could use a prophet to convince God to curse out Israel. Yeah, yeah. That he had that power, or better yet, a prophet had that power. Mm, yeah. So uh, the two really, really awesome points. Um, so the first thing, I love how you jump to a different part of the Bible, because a lot of the stuff we're going to read in the Old Testament is going to point us forward mm-hmm. to Jesus and things that are going to be kind of in the New Testament, they look back and go, see, this is what happened in the Old Testament, and here we're seeing it, uh, you know, play out in our lives now. So um, you said that that Balaam initially had the wrong intent, and that was kind of what Peter says in the New Testament, Balaam had the wrong intent. I'm going to ask you a practical question here. Mm -hmm. How do you see that um, playing out in our lives today as far as, you know, things that maybe God asks us to do and not ask us to do and, you know, our intent? Do you think we struggle with those same kind of um, issues and decisions today? Oh, for sure. I think that's why it was so interesting for me because I think even now it's like, okay, we know we should be doing this or we know this is God's will or we feel like it's God's will, but is it really or Mm. is it what we it's a feeling that we have, like we think, because if I do this, I'm going to get that, you know? And I feel like we do that in a lot of different avenues, even, um, job wise. Oh, should I take this job? Cause I'm going to make more money or should I take this job? Because it's less money, but I know it's God's will, Mm. you know? So I think in a lot of different areas, we still see that. I think that's a hard thing for people to wrestle with is, Mm -hmm. you know, what is God, God's will in my life and how do I, how do I wait out that? Because it's not always God's will that we do the thing that, let's just use your example, that is maybe less money or less advantageous. Some, many times it is, you know, mm-hmm. God says, don't worry about that. I'll take care of your money. Mm-hmm. I need you to do this for me. There are times when he says, yeah, go ahead and do this thing. I'm going to walk with you. I may take you through a really hard path in it, but I'm going to show you, I'm going to learn and teach you something. In your opinion and your experience, how are you able to discern, you know, when you're making a decision or, or what do you use to discern what God's kind of leading you in. Um, I obsess over it. (laughs) I obsess and I will ask every single person in my life their opinion. Mm, Okay. Um, And I pray and I read and sometimes God doesn't give you an answer and you Mm. don't know. And at that point, typically try and seek out, you know, people that are seeking God's desire for their life and are involved in church. And I feel like, they really have the Holy spirit in them. Mm. And sometimes it's not those people. Sometimes I'm at Walmart and someone walks up to me and says something. And I'm like, what? Uh, Almost like maybe you were like, if you were riding a donkey through the wilderness and this donkey starts talking. Yes, exactly. So you're like, Oh, okay. 
So maybe I was trying to figure out the answer through all these people and it wasn't the right person. Mm -hmm. It's always something miraculous that happens. So kind of keeping your your eyes and your ears open to what God might be doing and through whom he might be speaking. Um, You know, for Balaam, this donkey three different times is, is, you know, not doing what he normally does, and Balaam doesn't see an angel in the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for us, there's a lot of times when we don't see the angel in our road, and God has to put some kind of a jackass in our way to start talking to us, mm-hmm. and we go, whoa. <laughs> and and the, the story is really funny to me because, like, <laughs> Balaam doesn't question, like, the Balaam just starts talking back to the donkey as, like, as, as if this always happens, you know? know. Um, but um, It just reminds me of Shrek. Yeah, it, it keeps reminding us of Shrek. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, I love what you said that, you know, first of all, you, you, you admit, I obsess over these things. Um, sometimes God wants us to really pour into things, and, and, and sometimes he wants us to just give it up to him and say, hey, I'm going to lead you. I also love that you said sometimes he doesn't, just come right out and give me the answer. Um, one thing we know about God is if we turn right, he will be with us. And if we turn left, he will be with us. Now, when we make the decision, <clears throat> when we're struggling with the decision, sometimes there's an obvious thing that like, we know this is probably not God's will because we'll be doing something that violates something that the scriptures say or something like that. But a lot of times, Maybe, you know, I don't know. I can't, I'm I'm trying to decide, God, do I go right or left? And God goes, sure. Pretty much. And I'll go with you. Um, And and so we trust him and in it we learn. uh, We should always be looking for what do we learn, you know, in it and through it. You and I have had a number of different conversations about some really um, difficult decisions and and, uh, trials and things in your life. And I know, I just want to commend you in the way that you have Look for those answers. It's um, something that I think not enough people do. Uh, looking for those answers and, like you say, pouring into other people who you know are going to be praying, who you know are going to be seeking God. Um, there's a lot of other places you could be looking for those answers, and you're not. And so I'm, I'm just always thrilled um, when I just see the way that you do that. So uh, that's awesome. What else? Anything else in this uh, in this section that like stood out to you or that you thought was um, important to? to focus on or did you dug deeper into? Um, I actually wrote down a few notes that say, when I call you is my doing, not your own. Mm. So I just find that interesting that a lot of times you're called to do things and, but a lot of people will say, Oh, I did it on my own. And it's like, God shows us right here in scripture. Like, no, I called you to do Mm -hmm. that. It's not your own power. Mm-hmm. So that kind of brings you back to the whole when you make decisions, you know, is God calling you? That's a great little little passage to remember. When I yeah. call you, it's my doing, not your own. Um, because it is easy for us to get into that situation, and especially when we have some kind of victory through God, to go, ha-ha, look what I did. Mm-hmm. And God goes, wait, who did that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, and, and we do. We see that over and over and over again, especially as these Israelites continue to like go off and... Um, worship false gods uh, and, and things of that nature. Um, before we get into that, I just want to kind of go back to these oracles because, you know, Balaam was called in to specifically give. Like, he, he Balak called him in to give curses against Israel. And Balaam kept saying, um, I'll seek God and see what he says, which is what we should do, which is exactly what you said you do, right? I'll seek God and see what he says. And he goes back to Balak who says, I'll give you all this money. I'll give you all this stuff. And Balaam goes, um, 
yeah, basically God's saying that these people who you think are your enemy, um, he's going to bless them. And he's going to keep blessing them. And there's nothing you can do about it. And so Balak says, wait, 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 wait. Maybe you don't understand. Come over here and look at it from this vantage point. And Balaam goes, yep, God says the same thing still. Oh, no, well, come over here and look from this vantage point. And Balaam goes, hey, you don't get it. You're not going to change God's mind. Um, and, and it even says it in there. Is God a, is God a mind that you can change? Um, and so he says, this is, this is what he has decided. And you're, you're wanting God to do things according to your will instead of you falling in line with God. And so what's going to happen, in fact, is these people are going to crush you. And that's what eventually ends up happening as well. Um, so I, I love that you pointed that out. That um, you know, I'll ask you again. Do you think we still do that in, in our lives today? Look to try to just uh, see if we can convince Crush God people. To, yeah. yeah, like I think that that's, I think when people do us wrong, we're like, you're going to get persecuted for that. Yeah, because and it's look like, how good I am. And <laughs> So it's so funny. I was never an angry driver until I came to Texas. And oh, I'm like, God. what is wrong with these people? And I was talking to my sister-in-law and she's like, Kayla, you need to just pray for them when you're driving. Mm. And it's like, how amazing is that to think when these people are persecuting us, instead of just getting angry and trying to do back to them, why not just pray for them, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I, you know, easier said than done. Yeah, you know, I've, I've had that kind of a thing happen to me when my, you know, it, it happens when your kids are in the car. Oh, that's course. a hard That's a hard part, oh, right? of course. I remember when my oldest son was was really young. He was probably three or four. Um, we had, we adopted him when he was two and a half. So we hadn't had him very long. And I remember driving down the access road of the highway and this guy cuts in front of me and mm -hmm. I, I'm getting ready to say something. And I realized that he's in the back seat. So I like stopped myself. And then like, as if he's trying to fill the silence for me, he just goes, moron. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, uh, yeah, he's yeah. heard me before. Um, and, and you know, we, there, there was then another instance where my kid kind of said the same thing you said when he saw somebody cut me off and go, you know, speeding down the road. He's like, man, there must be something really important that he's got going on. You know, I was thinking, oh, wow. Yeah, maybe he does. Um, it's hard for me to put my mind there. Um, it's hard for me to be on his side right now, but you're probably, you're probably right. And I, I just think it's interesting that, you know, Balak thought that he could manipulate his way mm -hmm. to well, ma manipulate God to get his way. Like how often we probably do that. Mm -hmm. Like we think if we just with humans, like we're like, Oh, if we do this and this is going to be the outcome. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that's so interesting because mm -hmm. God's like, Nope, that's right. not my will. That's not, that's not my plan. That's not what's going to happen. Keep doing all these foolish things and it's not going to get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a good time for us to start looking at now, because Balak was looking to crush Israel, God's mm -hmm. people. And God repeatedly refers to Israel as his bride. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so he's the husband. This group of people is his bride. And I think that's going to be interesting as we move on into chapter 25, because it's Israel who begins to worship other gods. And the very first sentence of chapter 25, it says, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab, and these people invited their uh, sacrifices to their gods. God uses this word, well, this is prostitution, this whoring word repeatedly with his bride, his church, his people. Um, and, and if we can picture this group of people as his wife, you know, the tragedy that happens to a marriage 
when one partner goes after someone who's not their spouse, who, who cheats. Um, and we see Israel cheating and becoming idolatrous with these other, um, with these other people. Um, put yourself in the place of God, mm-hmm. right? What would your reaction be if your people like that you have led out of Egypt through the water, constantly providing them with manna and quail and all these provisions, and now here we are basically on the brink of this land that I promised you, and you're cheating on me? Like, where are you at with that? Sin. You know, I would just think, well, the sin's still there. I mean, Mm -hmm. he did all those things, but that doesn't mean they're still not going to make a mistake and not make the right choice. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he felt extremely disappointed, mm-hmm. but his grace is always there. Isn't that crazy that his grace is always there? It says that, you know, he was obviously very angry and his anger burned. And there was even a plague that happened in the midst of this. But Moses continued to plea for, you know, before God for Israel and ask for um, for his grace. And and God does that. And God, it was actually, um, it was actually uh, one of Aaron, the priest's mm-hmm. sons, Phineas, who uh, who had a heart for God and kind of put an end to some of this nastiness that was going on by <laughs> ending up he he actually killed a guy and this woman he was whoring with you know in front of the temple he he killed them with a spear and and God goes all right he's he's zealous for me so I'll relent because you know here Phineas has got some of my anger in his hand you know um, and God says he he. He brought his uh, his anger back, even though there were a lot of folks that died from the plague that came came because of it. But as we look at um, Israel as this bride, I think it's in- interesting as we go through this that we look at Israel as this bride because I think it becomes an example for us um, for later on. How is uh, what happens to some of the people in Israel and some of the, especially as we start talking about the women and the vows later. Um, how is that an, just maybe an example for what some of the stuff is that's going to happen um, in the New Testament? But we're not quite there yet. We are to the census. Now, the census is utterly captivating, isn't it? So interesting to listen to. Yeah. So just paragraph after paragraph. By the way, if y'all cannot capture the sarcasm in Kayla's voice right now, I'm just going to put a little caption under everything. This is sarcasm. She is not deeply interested in this census. But I'm going to ask you some questions about it because it goes through um, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, who the people are, uh, how many were they were there. They had a similar census at the beginning of the book of Numbers. And I'm going to ask you, why do you think this information is in here? So that's an interesting question. And my answer has a little bit to do with it, but not. Okay. Um, I don't know if it was Balaam or Balak, but or Balak. Did, Balak. We, none of us were there. We have no idea how they pronounce their own name. Is so. one of them a descendant of Abraham? Well, it, I'm not. I'm not sure exactly how the lineage worked on either one of them, um, because it seems like um, Balaam has some connection. And maybe maybe I misread or misunderstood, or maybe it's very obvious in there somewhere. But it seems like somehow Balaam is separate from Israel, and yet he inquires of the true God. So uh, what I I guess my point is is that he's connected some way, which is probably somewhere in the Bible, mm-hmm. 
And same with all these people. Mm-hmm. You know, they play a vital part in God's story. Okay, yeah. Whether we can see it in this chapter or we see it in other chapters, mm-hmm. I'm sure some of these people are going to pop up mm-hmm. later on. Yeah, yeah. That's my only... Um, sure. You know, if we were to look into the, some of the gospel lessons, like um, into the book of Matthew, for instance, where Matthew starts off with this genealogy again, and we can look at the genealogy Matthew gives and look back at this genealogy and go, wow, that's the same. And, of course, Matthew's genealogy leads us all the way up to Jesus. And we can go, oh, these people were, it was planned. You know, these, it, these aren't just random people. This was planned. And some of the big players we see in the Old Testament, um, men and women, we see in this genealogy. And we go, wow. And there's the interesting thing about the genealogy of Jesus some of his ancestors in that genealogy are not so great people, you know, or people who would normally be considered like, oh, we don't want to talk about them, like Rahab the prostitute, right? Um, uh, but here in this particular genealogy, it's not necessarily just a genealogy, but this census, because it tells us how many people they're counting. Again, God knows how many people are there. He doesn't need a count. He wants Moses to take a count. He wants Moses to see, look, at the beginning of this whole thing, here's how many folks you have. At the end, here's how many folks you have. Look what I've been doing. Look what, how I've been caring for you. Look what my promises were. Look what the results have been. I've been faithful, and here's what we've got. But then as we, as I mean, if I asked you just without looking, don't look, don't look, to mention one name out of that genealogy, can you remember any of them? I think there's a cane. That you think there's a cane somewhere in there. Okay, yeah. so probably there's probably a cane or something in there. But like, if I asked you to mention 10 of them, could you mention 10 of them? Absolutely not. Probably not, right? And so we read over, we kind of glance over, but the fact is they are all names and they're all different names and they were all individuals and it gives the story a lot of credibility because we can look and go, wow, um, there's no other, there's no real reason for all, like the story would be kind of the same without this, but God chooses to say, here's my people. Here's the exact people who were here. Here's where they settled. Here's how many they were. And I want you to know that this story is real and that these were exact individual specific people who were real that I counted and that I cared for. And I knew every single one of them. And so I think even in that, even if we don't know who all of the names were, um, like the sons of Shahulahath, um, that's okay because they were real souls of, of God who he cared for, who he counted and who he brought through. And uh, he continues to do it this, because there's going to be one day when nobody's going to name the, know the name Aaron, Aaron Gakey, right? Nobody's going to know that name. And yet he was real and he was counted and God cared. Uh, and I'm thankful that he does. So, um, in, in chapter 27, there was this thing about the daughters of, uh, I don't even know, Zaholophad. Um, and what, what happened is as the land was getting divided up among all the tribes, these daughters came and said, hey, our dad died out here while we were here. And it was because of his sin, but he had left no sons to give inheritance to. And so basically we are we are without any inheritance. We are without any land. It's not fair because we are faithful to the, you know, to God. Our dad wasn't. Shouldn't we get some of this? And God says, I want to make this provision where um, if, if a man dies without any sons, that his daughters do get his inheritance. And he said, if, it, then if they don't have any daughters, here's who it goes to. If it doesn't have that, then here's who it goes to. Um, here's another place where I want to think about, you know, again, Israel being the bride, right? Or, um, 
or when we talk about the inheritance, the inheritance here was a promised land. And if we think about our inheritance now is heaven, right? And so we start thinking about in our relationships and things like that. If, if we don't have somebody to pass that inheritance on to, that there are other people in our lives that shouldn't be, that it shouldn't be withheld from. And so to me, that kind of seems like a, maybe a, a symbolism leading forward. What do you think about that idea? That concept. Does that make sense to you? I think that makes sense. I agree. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about us having this promise of heaven and and it being inheritance, I think about my kids. I think about your kids. Like, right, you're going to pass this down to Silas, right? And Silas will be able to take this inheritance down and pass it down to somebody else. And at the same time, God's going to put a lot of other people in our lives who may not be necessarily family members or whatever. And we have the opportunity to pass those things down. I know in your life that you've experienced that, that you've experienced the inheritance being passed down to you in, in several different ways. Um, and I know that's been very special to you and it's been part of what brought you to the church. And so to me, I was really excited when I heard that you were going to be doing this section because to me, there's this whole inheritance thing that's going where you are a living example of that. Does that make sense or is yes. that accurate? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty special thing. Pretty special thing. Um, and I think of Miss Elva when I think of that. I right? know. Yeah. And uh, not everybody who's listening is going to know who Miss Elva is, but Miss Elva was a very special lady in my life, in Kayla's life, and one who just kind of, she was instrumental in you coming to church, wasn't she? Yeah, and it's so funny because I didn't want to submit to God's will. Mm. When they want me to go to her house, I was like, oh, no, she lives too far away. I can't go all the way up to North Bernie. You were working in hospice care at the time, yeah. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, it's like, fine, I'll go. And then once I went, I was like, this is where I needed to be. Mm. So through the, through the ministry of a dying woman, mm-hmm. God brought you into a, a new, like a renewed relationship with him. It's amazing. Pretty awesome inheritance. Yeah. Yeah. Inheritance in different areas. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. Was there anything that you found just incredibly, I mean, you already mentioned like the, the Balaam-Balak thing and stuff like that. Was there anything you found incredibly confusing or weird in this, in this section that you read? Um, so something I thought was interesting was the sacrifices that they had to give in Mm. order to speak to God. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Seems a little bit morbid Mm, to have to bring like a dead animal to him. Why do you think that God asked them to do that? What do you think was behind that? I have no idea because I don't think if God told me to do that, I would do it, Uh, (laughs) to be honest. Well, and obviously we live in a much different culture now. And, you know, um, going out and killing our own animals for food is not something we typically do in, you know, our civilized society. Yeah. But it was pretty common. So, but let's just say, let's say it was more commonplace for us. This idea, it's still this idea of it's dirty, it's bloody, and there's death. And, um... A lot of times these sacrifices were there to remind the people of their sinfulness or their separation from God. So you can't talk to me because there's sin that separates us. How is sin going to be bridged? Only through death. Wow, I never thought of that. And so now we have this sacrificial system. And some of these sacrifices were intense. Like, well, let's go ahead and just get 11 bulls and, you know, nine goats and, you know, and... For these specific things. And and so if you think about what these priests are having to do at this time, I mean, that's a bloody mess up there. 
literally a bloody mess. And, and it's, it is probably pretty morbid. And to think about not only is stuff having to die, but my stuff is having to die in order for me to be reunited with God. Do you think that they understood that back then? Like, I'm doing this to remind... Like, were they able to understand why? I think that when God first established it, people were like, oh, wow, I get this. And then it became a part of their habit and things, and they started to not think about it anymore until they went so far off and hoard after other gods. And God says, we're going to come back. And remember these sacrifices? Oh, yeah, we're doubling down on this stuff. And that's also why a lot of times when he brought people back, it wasn't just the animals that died. There were people who died. You know, God never commanded human sacrifice, but God said, look, death is going to be a part of this business. Um, and later on, we see, of course, the ultimate sacrifice in his own son, where we go, oh, my goodness, like blood has to be a part of forgiveness. It has to be this, this sacrifice that happens for us to have a relationship renewed with God. That's why it's really cool that Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice because we don't have to do this junk anymore. We don't have to bridge that gap anymore. Jesus did it. So um, to me, you know, I, as you were talking about that, I was thinking, yeah, man, wow, this, this would be so, I'm so glad as a pastor, I don't have to do that anymore. You know, I'm glad you're not having to bring your goats in and I'm, you know, having to slit their throats on the altar. Um, and at the same time, what a what an amazing thing to think that God would send his own son to be a sacrifice for us to bridge that gap and say, yeah, that sin that you really dearly need paid for, it's paid for. It's paid for once and for all by the perfect sacrifice. Because he always says, the lamb you bring is going to be a perfect lamb, spotless, without blemish. Now I'm going to give you the perfect lamb, spotless, without blemish. It's my son. And then if we go to the very end of the Bible, Revelation, who is Jesus on the throne? It says he is like a lamb slain without blemish. And so like the whole story is cohesive all the way. Through. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Well, I tell you what, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a quick break and then I'm going to come back to you with the last few questions and uh, the random question of the day. We'll see you in just a minute. Um, Kayla, I just wanted to, uh, ask you a couple more questions. And then the first one is, was there anything in this section that gave you, um, that gave you a lot of, you know, hope that kind of instilled in you something that was, uh, you know, some, some measure of hope. I know it's a tough passage to really draw hope out of, but I think in every aspect of the Bible, God's always sharing some message of hope with us. Did you find something? Yes, it just reminded me of God's grace mm. and how much he loves us. And his his love is always there no matter what we do. Uh, yeah, so when we see these people like doing foolish things over and over again, we can kind of breathe a sigh of relief going, yeah, like, oh, oh, he just still loves me part. too. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I've done some pretty stupid things in my life. Uh yeah, it's, I'm thankful for God in, in that way for sure. Uh, that, yeah, that's a great thing to pull out of it. And um, and it's a good example, I think, too, for people listening. Um, 
on how to study the Bible. And really, we should always be looking for those things that God is like telling us to do and not to do, which is what we call the law. And those things where we're, he's telling us, here's what I do for you to show you my love, which is the gospel. So yeah, awesome on that. And then the other thing I want to ask you is just looking at this entire section, what do you pull out of this section that you think might be pertinent to really maybe instruct us as Christians, as Jesus followers in, in living our lives today? Um, I think that um, it's really important that we don't try and control every situation in our life. Mm. I think that there's going to be things that are going to shake our world and that we are not going to have control over. And we can do all these things to try and protect ourselves or trying to make a certain outcome. But regardless, like God's plan and his story is his. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it kind of like kind of gets to the whole concept of of prayer, right? I mean, like we can sometimes try to control God, like um, Balak did, with you know saying, "Hey, God, um, you got to be on my side on this," you know, or "Here's what I want. I want you know, I want this outcome in my job, or I want this outcome with this person who's sick, or you know, I want this outcome with my dying grandmother," you know. And, and sometimes, you know, we try to manipulate God with our prayers and our prayers, I think really are much less for trying to change God, um, and more for trying to put us on track with how, what his will is. And would you agree with that? Yeah. And I think also it just reminds us that, you know, we're still going to go through these trials and these difficult things. And like you said, we can try and pray for a certain outcome, but what about if we prayed for God, help me help your will go through my life. Mm. What can I learn from this situation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't like this situation, but what are you trying to teach me instead of trying to get rid of the situation? Yeah. A lot of times we, when we learn something, it's not fun either, but, but at the after, you know, sometimes we can look back, you know, a week, a month, a year, a decade and go, Oh wow. God was really doing something back then. He knew what was happening here in my life. I've got thousands of examples of that in my own life. So, yeah, I think that's a great, great thing to pull out of it. We never really touched on the vows and the women and the vows in, in chapter 30, which is kind of a weird, uh, weird little section. I won't spend much time on it, but um, it, it seemed like God treats women almost um, like as a subcategory in this. But I know from reading the rest of Scripture, God does not view women as any, any way less than men. But what he seems to be doing here, again, as we look forward to to um, our uh, relationship with him in the New Testament and God's relationship with us as his bride, if we look at the men in this, because it says if a woman makes a vow, it's kind of contingent on whether or not her husband or her father hears it as to whether it's a good vow or not, which seems very sexist. But um, the the husband or the father is able to say, no, it's okay, she's not She's not bound to that. In the same way, I think God is able to say with us, when we make stupid promises, when we make you know very ridiculous, foolish things that we say maybe in haste, that our God is able to go, I'm not going to bind you to that. You know, I'm not going to hold you. And, and in a lot of ways, it doesn't seem fair that God would use people as his object lessons, but uh, it's very, very vivid. I don't know if you drew the same thing out of that or if you had any other viewpoints on that, but that was kind of what I got out of that section. Um, I didn't really understand it. So. <laughs> Good. Yeah, that, that, so that's, again, 
it's a tough thing. It's tough to read uh, from a different culture at a different time into what we... So for me, that way, again, trying to put the whole Bible together, that's what I drew out of it, that we as God's bride, as uh, His church, uh, can do stupid things, make stupid promises, kind of go our own way, and God will hear it and go, mm, no, um, I'm not going to hold you to that. I'm not going to bind you to that. Which brings us now dun, 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 to the end of our time with our random question. Now, nobody ever knows what the random question is going to be. It comes solely from the deep, dark depths of Pastor Aaron's mind. And today, as we have just... I'm just going to go ahead and presume right now that we are on the other side of all the coronavirus quarantine stuff. And I'm, I'm presuming that we have come out and there are unicorns and rainbows on the other side. But viruses are bad, right? Right. Whether they're computer viruses or sickness viruses, they're bad. But what if there was a virus that was good, that could actually instill good qualities in you, and you had the opportunity to invent the good virus what would your virus do if I were infected with the virus you invented? See how fun this is? <laughs> um, if there was one virus that was good that could be infected in people, I would choose it to be... The love bug. <laughs> the love bug. The Emily love, wants the love bug. The Emily love wants the bug. Herbie virus. Yeah. <laughs> no, really, that's what I was going to say is the love bug. Okay. I think that we've kind of lost how to love people. Mm. There's this new thing where it's like boundaries, 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 and we're losing that intimate connection with oh, people wow. because we can't. They're, they're crossing my, my boundary. Mm, yeah, coming in they're, my personal they're, they're space. They're coming in my personal and, yeah, space. Yeah. I'm not agreeing. It's like, no, what about if we thought about how maybe we don't agree with that person's opinion, which is fine, but let's at least try and understand it. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, like if we all had love, we would mm-hmm. have the understanding of Man. everyone's perspective. And- I love it. I like it. I like it. And um, I'm okay with you being in my personal space right now. I'm okay. very glad you're here. Okay. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's a really cool thing because God is by his own nature. He, we call him the triune God, the father, son, and Holy spirit, three persons in one. He is by nature, a relationship God. He's by nature in his own personal space, right? Um, and I think that's a really interesting thing for us to always think, that he makes us relationship people to reflect his image. And so that's a good one. I, if we were infected with Kayla's love bug virus, we would we would just see our, like, you know, instead of us going into our house, you know, and like driving in the garage and shutting the door behind us, like the garage doors Everyone would be does open. That. And I'm like, I'm trying to say hi would be to down. you. Yeah. Why is your garage door shut? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what? I need to, sometimes I do that. I'll, I'll just kind of I do it too because I have a crazy neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Before we have to edit anything out, we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, nobody knows where Kayla lives, so we don't know which neighbor's crazy. Um, but, uh, Thank you so much for being with us. I had a great time with you today. Yeah, me too. It was awesome. And and what do you know? You dug into the book of numbers, right? Yes, and now uh, I'm educated. Yeah, awesome. Well, um, if you have any uh, questions or responses uh, to this podcast or to anything else, any questions that you get while you're reading through our daily reading plan, uh, email them to growupandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. 
And uh, we sure uh, look forward to meeting with you again here next week. Uh, Grow up and talk. We'll see you soon.